raising black children in the United States can be really scary. And as a black mother, I realized I was parenting from fear. And I wanted to make a commitment to Parent for Liberation. You are listening to Parenting for Liberation podcast. And I am your host, Trina Green-Brown. Each month, I'm joined by other black parents and we discuss our own journeys to push past our fears so that we can raise our beautiful black children to be whole, free, and liberated. Wake up everybody, no more sleep. Hey y'all, this is Trina. Welcome to P4L's podcast. On this episode, we speak with author and nonviolent parenting educator, Cresha Esquivel. She has worked in the field of education for 25 years in a variety of capacities, training, technical assistance, curriculum development. She's a published author of a book called Losing Control. And she has been featured as a speaker at a local TEDx production on the topic, Treating Our Children Better. She is a parent of two, and they are her driving force um, to do continue to do this deep work around children and advocacy um, and making sure that young people have the supports that they need to thrive. So we're so excited to talk to you about nonviolent parenting. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yes, I'm excited to have this conversation um, because oftentimes we think about parenting styles. We talk about liberated parenting and there's conscious parenting and there's gentle parenting. You know, there's all these different parenting styles. And I think at the core of them, people are trying to figure out how to support and raise, you know, empathetic children who are good humans. And we want to do it in a way that is sustainable and healthy for us um, and make sure that our relationships with our children Um, are ones that we can be proud of, right? I think it's a shift from back in the day, we just, back in the day, there was like a desire for like reverence and respect and just listening and following what we say. Um, And I think we've seen some of the impacts of that on the adults in the world who only learned how to listen and follow and not have the ability to share how they feel and what they think and their emotions. And so there's been a shift, thank goodness. And so now we're having these more, expansive conversations about how do we parent in ways that allow folks to show up in their fullness and honor their full identities and their full experiences. So um, I'm down and excited to talk to you about how you do that work. Um, so I want to get you in this conversation already. How um, how did you get involved in this work around nonviolent parenting? Um, is it connected to your own parenting journey? It 100% is connected to my parenting journey and I fell into it. I didn't know this was a thing. I didn't know it would become a movement. Um, My kids are now 14 and 16. When they were about 18 months and three, um, their dad and I separated. And so I really had to rethink my whole life, um, what parenting was gonna look like, what co-parenting would look like. And um, I talk about it a a little bit in my book, but I started thinking about the traditional ways of parenting and how that would work because the reality is at this point as a single mother i'm outnumbered so how do i get to a place where we're all on the same page so that we can work together um if there was no way it could be me against them because i'm outnumbered now right um the, and and i'm a very logical thinker so that's how i was thinking about it i also realized that we were all going through a major shift And so what was the best way for me to be there for them um, and not allow my adult situation to impact their life too much? 
Uh, simultaneously, I also knew what the studies were, that all the negative rhetoric around single families, children who grew up in a single um, single parent household. And so I was really determined to change that narrative also and um, start talking about it a little differently because the reality is my children live in a home with one adult, but they, mo they most definitely have two very involved parents, right? So how do I change that narrative? Um, my degree is in child and adolescent development. So the attachment theory, all of those things, nothing, what, nothing, none of that was new to me. Um, and so I started looking at it from the attachment lens and what does it look like to build attachment, to build connection. Um, then I started looking at it, there was way back, a lot of people talked about intuitive parenting, which really was listening to what feels best for you and the children. And that kind of led me down a hole to nonviolent parenting, which um, for me really looked at how do you get the most out of being attached to another person, that healthy attachment, while also listening to your intuition and following their intuition. And so I really started dissecting that word of, of violence because it does go beyond the physical violence. Um, and how do I nurture safety physically, emotionally, spiritually, creatively, um, and really starting to understand that every child, once they come into this world, are their own person. And how do I nurture that? So it really was like my book and everything I do now, it's 100% a glimpse into my journey from when they were eight, my youngest was 18 months until now when she's 14 months. Um, even in my book, every story in there is 100% real life what I went through, what I experienced, the revelations that I have. So as they have grown up and I've evolved and we've had different experiences, um, the things that I've learned and been able to share have also grown and evolved as well. I love that. It feels so resonant of how and why Parent and Liberation exists and how this podcast started. Um, it definitely was me at the time, um, and it was like around the same age, interestingly, right? Like um, I separated from my child's father when he was around two, three years old and um, and realized what I realized at that time was that I was parenting from a place of fear. And that fear was having me act out in ways that were not in alignment with my values, right? I was yelling. I was um, being violent, right, in all the ways, emotionally at times, physically. Um and so I wanted to, I knew that, like, no, this is not who I am, you know. And, and I was getting encouragement, like, oh, if you want him to listen to you, you got to pop him. If you want him to listen to you, you got to put your foot down. And I'm like, okay, I don't <laughs> like doing this. <laughs> and I know this doesn't work. Um, and so, um, and so, yeah, I went into a deep dive of exploring. And um, I'm glad to know that, you know, and I, I, I'm sure the people who are listening are probably listening because they're on that journey as well. Um, of like what I've been doing hasn't been working. I don't really want to do it that way. I want to learn a new way and I really don't know how. And so I, I appreciate that you were like, I'm just trying to figure it out. And like you mm -hmm. went, you know, you went down one rabbit hole and you went down another rabbit, you know, to find the one that works best for you and then to actually begin to cultivate the version of those things that work for you. Um, and so the focus that you've done um has been nonviolent parenting. So you talked a little bit about that, but I wanted to just create space for you to define it or explain what is nonviolent parenting and how is it different or counter the traditional ways that we think about parenting? 
Now, nonviolent parenting, if I had to quickly summarize it, it's really looking at the child in the same manner that you would look at any other person you're building a relationship with. And it sounds very basic, but um, nonviolent parenting really works to dissect the traditional hierarchies of how society looks at children. And so I focus a lot on childism because if you look at traditional parenting, that's 100% what it is. We assert power over children for the sole reason of their, of because they're smaller, they're younger, and technically they know less. They, they don't know as much as the adults. And so we force our ways onto them. And so nonviolent parenting is really saying, I'm trying to build a relationship with this human being. How do I build a relationship with them in a way that nurtures them, that respects them, that keeps them safe, that makes them feel heard, um, that doesn't hurt them, again, in any way, shape, or form? Because when you, when you look at it through that lens and the parallel is building a relationship with a best friend, with a new coworker, with a significant other, these are all, you know, what are those things we do to build that safe space for them? And let's translate it to children. And it seems very simple, but what we're fighting against is society. We're fighting against tradition. We're fighting against childism. And so that's how nonviolent parenting has really become a space to advocate for children so that we can start looking at them and recognizing them as humans. And that as soon as they come out, as soon as they come into the world, they are worthy of the same level of respect, trust, safety as anybody else. Um, and that's why I, at first it was around spanking because the reality is that children have zero safety by the, the way that the world looks at them, the laws, until they're 18 years old. You technically, as a parent, I can smack my child, not leave a mark. They, you know, There are literally legal ways to physically harm a child where you won't get in trouble and it's outlined. You know, Deep Child Protective Services, they all have, you know, ways in which you can hit a child to where you, it will be okay. But as soon as that child turns 18, they now have full protection by the law and it's called assault. That by the very definition means that nobody is looking at children as human beings. They're looking at them as an object and as property. And if we look back into time, there have been times when black people have been property, when women have been property. And so for me, it's the same advocacy path where we now have to start recognizing children are not property, they're human beings. And so nonviolent parenting for me is really about leveling the playing field and saying these children are human beings. They are their own people and we need to nurture every aspect of them and look and keep them safe in every aspect for every in every interaction that we do. Be very cognizant of the words that come out of our mouths, of the facial expressions we make, of the um, what our actions may be implying negatively to them. Because as young people, we are also building them up and helping them develop their self worth. And so, how do our actions? help or hinder that development. Yeah, that feels so right on in terms of honoring young people's humanity. Like the fact that you keep having to say like, oh, society doesn't see children as human. No, because society, you know, believes that children are inherently bad, that they are inherently um, savages who need to be taught and trained and um, 
yeah, like they have to be like molded or shaped, right? And and mm-hmm. when I think about the same language, you're right, right? Similar language when it's like once when a, a group of people want to be oppressive or controlling over another group of people, they imply their inherent badness or their inherent savagery or their inherent, you know, oh, they need our support. They need to be taught because they don't know, right? That that narrative has been used on many um, communities of color, many countries of color. Um, and so I know that that probably feels, it, it should sound familiar. Um, and so mm-hmm. I wonder if, you know, where did this, these beliefs around children's, um, inherent lack of worth, where, where did those beliefs come from? Um, I know when I read, um, Dr. Stacey Patton's book, she, she does research on, um, Western ideals around children, um, and like the language around like spare the rod, spoil the child and things of that nature. And she talks, she makes a lot of connections to like religious um, narratives around children. Um, and so it's, it's just an interesting dynamic around how society sees children and how that impacts families and how we choose to interact with young people and believe that they should listen to us. They should follow what we say. Just listen. Don't ask no questions. No pushback. Right. Like that they don't they're They should just be like. I don't know, like people want them to be like mini robots. And it's like, it's not realistic. They are humans. <laughs> they have their own brains, their own minds, their own feelings, their own temperaments. And I, and if you have more than one child, I think it becomes really apparent <laughs> that oh, very, this very kid came apparent. into the world, this kid came into a world <laughs> with a whole different vibe, a whole different energy, a whole different set of skills. And, you know, like that they're all unique individual humans. So this belief that they can just all follow these same rules and everyone's going to like, even with school, believing that children can learn all the same way and they're all going to want to be in the same outfit and wear the same uniform. It just doesn't make sense because they're all individuals and they all come into this world with their own identities and their own spirits. Um, And unfortunately, too often we crush young people's spirits um, by trying to make them fit into some structures. And so I feel like what's one of the benefits, it sounds like, of nonviolent parenting is that it allows young people to um, be themselves, right? To mm-hmm. to explore who they are, what they like, what, what they care about. Um, and it's like advocating for them, advocating for them to have the space to do that. What do you think are some other benefits of like nonviolent parenting? What are the benefits for parents? What are the benefits for children? So I would say, I would say the benefits for parents, and this is speaking from experience and, you know, uh, my circle is filled with parents who, um, who parent in the same way. Uh, The benefit for parents, it really allows you to enjoy parenthood. It allows you to take a step back and simply observe and be like, and be in awe of the growth of the development of your child, of, you know, of their style, of their way of thinking of the world, because you literally sit back and they make a decision and it's like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, tell me how you came to that. And you get, you get a, like an inside glimpse into how their brain works, into how they problem solve. Um, you become their partner or their friend and their sounding board because oh did you, you say know, friend did you I said dun, dun, dun. I literally um, was in a, I was literally in a text message today where somebody was like he's not your friend he's your son and I was like oh, what do you mean oh no 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 my babies are my babies so they're your friends, friends. uh oh you know you didn't broke that you didn't broke some black code I'm sure somewhere in the world 
They're like, I ain't one of your little friends. You ain't never heard that? (laughs) I've heard it. I've never said it. And it's funny because me and my kids joke like that because they say, then they're like, you don't say stuff like that, but other people do. And they will say they're like, but we're friends. I'm like, yeah, we are. They come home from work or, you know, I'm done with meetings and they sit on the bed and they're like, how are your meetings? Yeah, I heard such and such. Like, why were they getting so upset about that? And we just have conversations. You know, so they are 100% my friends. And then they come to me, you know, my daughter dances and she's like, yeah, you know, I was so frustrated today because X, Y, and Z in dance class. And I just didn't understand the point. And, you know, we talk back and forth. And in the end, you know, we finish the conversation about, you know, what can we do different next time? Or, you know, her ending it, well, that's just how it is. You know, whatever it is. So, yeah, we're friends because the reality is a friend regardless of age, of gender, of how, you know, the difference in age, there's somebody that you trust, that you know, well, you know, you can share information with that'll be non-judgmental. You know, they're going to hold you accountable. You know, they're going to laugh with you. You know, they're going to hold space for you. You know, they're going to celebrate you and have the best interest, you know, your best interest and vice versa. So if you can't be that for your child, then I don't know what exactly you are, you know, like (laughs) they are an authority figure that needs to be respected and listened to immediately. That's what they are. That's what they are. No, thank you. Yeah, I don't really think. I mean, you know, and nothing about that sounds fun, right? It doesn't. How do you enjoy life if all you're doing is barking orders at somebody? I mean, I guess people who want to do that might not have a strong sense of power in other spaces. And so that's the only space where they can, like, say a thing and people listen. I mean, but it's giving me, ooh, am I going to say that? It's giving me very power and control dynamics. Like, it Uh reminds me of folks who, because I used to work in the DV world, um, domestic violence world, and it reminds me of the dynamic where, like, a person will be abusive and controlling and dominant over a person that they feel like is weak. But, But when it's time to, like, actually stand up and say something to someone who is, like, their equal on their same level, they will cower. Don't we call that a bully? I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, that's probably a better <laughs> word. <laughs> and, you know, I've, I've seen things where it says sometimes our, our parents are a child's first bully. Oh, and that we know sucks. that in terms, it sucks. But we know when we look at studies that bullying often starts at home because that's we even true. try to be empathetic of the child. Well, this probably is happening at home and this is how they're interacted with that's and then true. they triple down. That's so, yes. Well, dang. Well, I don't want that for kids. Okay, so the benefits is you could be your kid's friend if you want to be your yeah. kid's friend. I know if some of y'all don't want to be your friend. kid's little friends. I think the people who don't want to be their kid's little friends don't know, don't have good friendships or something because, yeah. like, you describe friendships as the kind of friendships I want to have where it's mutual love and respect and we, we're there for each other and we can support each other. And, of course, that doesn't mean, like, I'm going to my kid and pouring my whole soul and, oh, let me tell you what happened the other day. Like, no, my fr- I'm right. not going to go gossip with my kid as if they're my friend and try to get them to, like, be my emotion- emotional support person. However, I feel like there's a balance between that. Um well, I think to that point, we have, if, if you have a good village of friends, which I do, there are certain friends that you share certain things with because of a shared experience or because of a certain level of trust or whatever it is. So 
I have professional friends that I'm really close with where I'm going to bounce those things off of them. I have other friends that I talk about other things. So similarly with my children, you know, we're talking about very specific things within our friendship wheel. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you said that. So whoever's listening, if you're one of my friends or you're my family member, um, now you know why I say you go to certain people for certain things. Yeah. And I always yeah. tell people what to come to me for because I know what yeah. kind of friend, I know what I'm good at. I know what my strengths are. And it's like, if you come to me about a problem, my mode of operation is like to fix. So if you don't want to fix, you just want to vent. I need to like, I need you to say before you come, this is just a venting session. Don't try to fix right. my problems, right? So, I, you know, all that to say is like, yeah, we, we can have multiple types of friendships and relationships with our children. It doesn't mean that there are everything. Because I do, you know, there are, <clears throat> there are like um, different articles and data about um, parents who like rely heavily on their children, mm -hmm. who do become their friend in a way that's unhealthy and imbalanced. Um, and people have talked about like... Yeah, some, like, unhealthy relationships with parents yeah. and children. And we're not talking about that, y'all. We're talking about no. healthy, balanced friendships or relationships that are rooted in trust and honesty and openness and transparency and all of that good stuff. I feel like yeah. our kids need to be able to come to us. And when you're the drill sergeant, no one's going to the drill sergeant to be like, let me tell you about what a mistake I just made. Right. And they not and if it's not us, they need to they we also teach them that there are adults that they can trust. Because if we're their their first experience with an adult and we're a drill sergeant and they're always in trouble, that doesn't show them that adults can be trustworthy people or kind people. And so then now all they have are their friends who don't actually may not actually have the wisdom or the experience to help them through things um but i'm big on the village and so my children have grown up with you know friends of mine that are now family for 20 some odd years so they understand like oh you know if, if there's an adult around my mom they're a good person and they're cool and i've known them my whole life versus just being skeptical or iffy about every adult in the world mm. and they've been they're now able to ascertain like their intuition is a is a benefit for um children their intuition and ability to to read people is top notch because I've given them the autonomy to walk into a space and decide who they're going to talk to, who they're not going to talk to, when, observe the room. And so they've never been forced to say hi to anybody, to give anybody hugs. My children have walked into a room and and I can tell instantly who they feel good about, right? And they've left and they've been like, yeah, I don't know about so-and-so because, you know, there's just something about them. And in my head, I'm like, you're spot on, right? But <laughs> but they weren't forced to say hi to them. So I feel like in nonviolent parenting, when you give them that autonomy to really, you know, move within certain situations, you know, that consent about like who you want to talk to, who you want to say hi to, not being forced to just be nice to everybody. They really build that up within themselves and, and they become an excellent judge of character. Ooh, and that's such an important skill to have because the way white supremacy has interrupted our ability or tried to interrupt our ability to really trust our gut and our instinct because, you know, all the stresses of everyday life, like all of those things kind of throw you off, at least for me, I'll say, like the way that I internalized some of the doubt, like, wait, 
like being gaslit for too long, being living in in a white supremacist society where it's like, wait, is there something wrong with us? Is it me? Is it them? What's going on? Like there's just like a lot of confusion and doubt that it made me question my gut and my intuition over a long time. And so I'm like in this process of rebuilding it, right? Even when I was like, I want to shift to this parenting style, the amount of pushback and questions made me go like, oh, is this the right thing? Am I doing the wrong thing? Is this okay? And so that also was fueled when I was a child, right? When if I wanted to, if I didn't want to, like someone did give me weird vibes or I wasn't okay and it was like, oh yes, hug your uncle or go say hi to so-and-so. And it's like, mm, I don't really feel comfortable around here, but I got to listen to this adult, right? I just got to listen to right. this adult because they told me to do a thing or this is the adult's house that we're all going to stay at. So I got to stay here even though I'm like, mm, something's ugh. like, right? So there's a way that not being able to talk to your parent or tell your parent things makes you start to doubt yourself because you're just supposed to listen or follow what your parent says, which is might be different than what your gut and your intuition is telling you. So I appreciate that. And I want to name like it's the holidays coming up or they probably just passed. And I know a lot of folks, that's always a thing that um, becomes a conversation like, did they speak to so-and-so? And did you speak to so-and-so? And did you say thank you? And there's a lot of, like, policing the way children show up around the holidays. Um, and, yeah, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that kind of stuff. Because you just said the benefit of nonviolent parenting is that children have autonomy and, and can build up their discernment. But mm -hmm. what do you do when people are pushing back if your kid is not, like— you know, come to the grandma, come to grandma's house, and everybody gets a hug, and your kid is like, "No, I'm, I'm, I'm cool. I ain't trying to hug I'm everybody." Cool, right. What you um, do? When, when my, when my children are little, um, they're very slow to warm, which is, which is fine. I'm slow to warm, right? And the reality is, too, if we look at society, those more introverted personalities, personalities just aren't revered. And so, I say the first thing in, in terms of getting everybody else comfortable is us being comfortable and accepting it. I know I can pinpoint my children's personality. So when we walk into a space and they just kind of put their hand up a wave and I'm like, okay, he'll say hi, you know, go ahead, you know, so-and-so have a seat. And when you're comfortable, he'll come back. Like sometimes you have, oftentimes you have to be the voice for your child. You have to uh, sports cash, you have to narrate, you have to, you know, basically explain to the adult while the why the child is doing X, Y, Z, not defend them, not, you know, uh, what's the word, like not make the adult feel okay, because I think that happens often. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, Krisha's just a little shy right now. It has nothing to do with you. No, because the child hears that. Now what you're doing is making their personality seem like there's something wrong with it versus, oh, Krisha's slow to warm. She'll be fine. When she, when she feels more comfortable in this space, she'll come around and possibly say hi and then move on. That's really, that's validating the child's personality versus apologizing for the child's personality. But the adult needs to be able to be comfortable with their child's temperament and personality to say those kinds of things. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm going to need a coaching session after this because <laughs> when I say that is my experience and it's not just any random adults that I'm dealing with, it's people that should also know his personality to understand that. This is just the way this kid operates. This is who he is. And expecting him to behave any way different is saying that you don't like who he is. <laughs> and I'm not yeah, okay I, with that. Yeah, yeah. Okay and, that. That's, and that's 100% the message that is being received by the child, too, which is why it's so important for in the moment for the adult 
to flip to reframe what is being implied so that that's what they hear um and then eventually your child will be able to be like oh no not right now or that's just me that's how that's what i like that's not what i like because we have given them the words we have shown them it was okay we have labeled their temperament and their personality and said that's who they are and it's great they'll come around when they come around if they come around whatever um and now it's a joke when my daughter is like was i always like this when i was little i would say yes if anyone came if i was holding you and anyone came near you you would turn your head and hold on tighter and everyone just knew oh no she just wants to be with her mommy right now i'm like yep and uh, they got used to it at first people you know adults would get offended which blows my mind i'm like this baby's six months old she really offended you um and eventually because <laughs> yes i, I mean, didn't understand i don't know what age they should start offending you i mean I, they're kids right. i just don't they're kids literally yeah, this is the conversation that's the question yeah, that I need. I don't that, get how people um, are offended by kids. I mean, no, of course, kids can be offensive, obviously. But it's like a kid saying, oh, I don't feel comfortable doing a thing or, oh, I didn't do a thing. How does that? I still don't get it. Okay, keep going. Yeah. Don't let my confusion. No, no, no. It's fine. <laughs> and um, Yeah, but, it's, but because I said it enough and I was like, oh, that's just her. Oh, she'll be fine. Everyone was like, oh, this she, you know, that's her. We know that's, you know, X, Y, and Z. So then my comfortability and consistency, right? It was never a point where if I felt bad enough that I would force my daughter to go with anybody. So it's the consistency of it, right? Um, so Krisha's consistent with her son is X, Y, and Z, her daughter's X, Y, and Z, and that's not gonna change. So eventually they moved with it and everyone develops their style. I'm very straightforward with the high level of sarcasm that's not meant to offend but it's made very clear that like you know didn't ask so you know no thanks for the unsolicited you know comments or whatever um and but everyone has their own way of doing it and i think that honestly nonviolent parenting really advocating for your children you the adults have to become comfortable with being uncomfortable because if we can't learn to be uncomfortable and have these conversations in front of our child and or separately then the outcome is that our child is forced to be uncomfortable trying to be who they're not and exactly. that's not fair for the child yeah and you know what it is honestly people who want that i wonder if they had to do something similar Oh, definitely. And so, because we repeat what we think is normal and right. So, you know, we've all heard it. Well, I hugged everybody and I'm I'm okay. Okay. If you think so. <laughs> Listen, I'm a hugger and I hug a lot of people. And I don't expect that my kid has to hug everybody that I hug just because I hug them. Right. Um, and I'm also an extrovert and my kid is an introvert, right? And so there's also that, like, we don't all have the same temperaments. Um, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, this practice within Black communities. Um, and I spoke a little bit about, or I had a little bit of curiosity around, like, our own backgrounds and trauma as Black folks in this country. Um, what, how do you think our our past traumas as a people and probably individually impact us and... Um, and like create barriers for us to engage in nonviolent parenting? Um, like I what are some of the big, challenges we'll face basically? 
I think the biggest, I think the two, the two biggest challenges are tradition. Tradition just makes my skin crawl. When people say things like, oh, that, you know, traditionally we, that, that reminds me of like in the workplace when people say, well, we've, we've always done it this way. Because that implies that I'm not looking to change. I'm not looking to assess if, there, if there's a better way of doing it. I just want to go with the flow and we've always done it. That's the easy way, right? So for me, tradition is a big barrier. And also, um, the again, the traditions around revering or the reverence around our elders. So we've never been given the space to question, to do things differently. And so when we try to change our way of doing anything, whether it could be, I want to add a different kind of cheese to the mac and cheese. I mean, how dare you change grandma's, you know, recipe, right? Everything is offensive. And it's like, no, 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 I just want to try something a little bit different. I'm not saying that you're, this way is bad. I'm just saying, what if we, right? Like just trying to get curious. So so the, the fear of offending our elders really holds a lot of people back. And I've worked with a lot of parents who feel like if I change the way that I was parented, then I'm inadvertently saying that my mom did it wrong. And it doesn't have to be I'm changing because it can say I want to hold on to this, but I know how X, Y, and Z made me feel. Because it is a very, per- so I don't want my child to feel that way. doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong. It means that for me, I know what this, how this action made me feel. So I don't want to replicate that. Yeah, that's true. And I think, I mean, what you were saying earlier also is another way to look at it is like, this is a child. This is a different child. This child is not me. And I want to do what's going to support this child to thrive in this current mm-hmm. time, right? Like That's even key right there. even this, this child, time. this child post pandemic. I don't even know if we're technically post pandemic, right? Well, but no. like, <laughs> but like how he was prior to pandemic is not who he is now. And children who went through school and did their whole life, you know, there's students who went to college and graduated all online. It's not the same. It's not the same conditions and the children's mental health and wellness is not like things aren't the same. And so we can't just keep doing things like you said, the way we've done it in the past, because like there was no Internet. There was no social media. There was no TikTok. You know, there was not a lot of things that these young people are engaging with. Um, And the data showing us that all of these things are having an impact on who they are and how they show up in the world. So how am I going to use some old school traditions? Some might work, you know, if you have the ability to modify and update and modernize. Yeah. Adaptability. Um, But, yeah, I think it it, it is a little bit about traditions are sacred and we should honor them. Um, And the ones that we can hold on to that are in service of where we are headed, um, we should continue to keep. And continue right. to practice. But if there's any yeah. traditions it's not, that... It's not an all or nothing. Yeah, model. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so yeah, you think tradition is going to be the one of the biggest challenges and, in, in like, you know, reverence to elders is yeah. another challenge. Um, what do you think about when people describe nonviolent parenting or gentle parenting as white people should? <laughs> man that was like when my children were little that was all I heard um and what I told them what I would say is that like the only white people are allowed to respect children and the other part of it is that 
if we, again, if we look at studies and we don't get so caught up in, in just the black and the white, white people are just as violent with their children, if not more than uh, it again. people of color, black people, right? It, it, it may, it may come out differently and not even, not even come out differently. But again, we look at society, what is shown to us, of course, are black people and people of color. But let's not think for one second that white people don't have their children in the system and aren't going to school beating them. It's just that they might be in private schools and so no one's reporting it because they've just given a million dollar endowment or whatever it is, but it's happening. And so, um, you know, people are always going to say it's white people. And I feel like, too, that's another way for us. um, That's another uh, excuse, if you will, they use to keep us on this side because God forbid that I do anything like white people. So now you want to, you know, hold me to this oppressive way that only quote unquote black people do. But it's definitely not. And I think this is where uh, we're in the internet space, like you were saying, we're in a different time. There are so many easy ways to Google anything and dispel any myth you may have. Uh, it, it takes a, I feel like it takes a conscious decision to not do that than to say, let me just make sure, let me see if this is actually the case, right? Which is rooted in comfort and again, rooted in tradition. You know, let me just go with the flow. Um, And also, I think too, I want to go back to the the concept of the village. I feel like it's tough for so many people to change because our village might be so small. And so those few people that we do have available to help us with things every now and then aren't on the same page as us. And so because we are stretched so thin in so many ways, I can't afford to, you know, go against this person because then I will have no help at all. And, and it's a really mm. unfortunate thing. You know, we so have true. to, yeah, we have to expand our village. We have to expand our circles and build our own communities or we do get stuck because we need this dysfunction to help us function yeah it's like well you know the only person i got is grandmama them or auntie yeah auntie is still a little old school or still do those things or you know and it's like oh how do i challenge this person lovingly (laughs) and you know in a way that is you know with love and care that doesn't isolate me from this person and then i lose my help or support yeah yeah that that is very true um Mm -hmm. We got to expand our villages. And so hopefully with P4L and, you know, groups that like you host space for that folks can begin to see each other, even if, you know, like I feel like a lot of our community and my community, it's not even people that are like literally local who can help physically take care of my child. But my village is like, who can I call and be a sounding board and be like, oh, my goodness, this thing is happening. What do you think? You know? Um, Yeah. So there's like some virtual villages. But also I think you're talking about like some actual care and person support. And that feels important. Um, You know, one question that I I worry about when I think about nonviolent parenting, I think people are like, you know, connected to like, oh, you're trying to be your kid's little friend is like your kids are going to walk all over you. And how do you practice discipline or, you know, yeah, I would say like discipline with the nonviolent lens. I think people feel like, oh, you leave. I have no options to hold these children accountable or to discipline them because I'm nonviolent as if that's the only way to discipline. Right. So, so when I do classes, I always tell people I never punish my kids and people are like, oh my gosh, but there's a definitely a difference between punishment and discipline, right? Punishment is literally making a child suffer for a mistake. 
um, whether you make them suffer physically by hitting them mentally by, you know, or emotionally by yelling at them or taking away something that they like to make their life miserable. That's literally the basis of punishment. I, you made a mistake. I'm going to take away something you like to make your life just that much more miserable. And this is going to teach you oddest concept ever. Um, and versus discipline, discipline is 100% rooted in helping in, in working together to find a better solution. And so the interesting thing about nonviolent parenting is that when you're in it and you're doing it, that's never on the forefront. It's always about solution. You're, you're focused on the solution, not trying to make sure that they understand the severity of what they did, right? Because we want to give consequences. Consequences is another, is another definition for punishment. Any, any like adult imposed consequence it's a punishment. Um, now, natural consequence, okay, you stayed up too late, you didn't do your homework, now the school gave you the detention, you know, that's, that's how it is, right? But nothing needs to happen when you get home, except we have a discussion and, you know, tell me why you stayed up later. Okay, okay, so would you rather your phone then just stay in my room since you were up all night watching TikTok? You know, is that going to work for you? That's discipline. And again, one of the benefits as your children get older, because you practice this process of discussion. What works? What doesn't work? Well, tell me what you need. Well, do you want, you know, sounds like you need to have a discussion with the teacher. Do you want me there? That by the time they get older, they have practiced the, they have practiced um, problem solving yeah. and coming up with solutions that work for them, that there's not a lot of disciplining taking place. There, there really isn't. Well, it's um, self, it becomes self-discipline. It, there it is. It becomes self-discipline. And my children, one is a, one's a baseball player, one's a dancer, and they're very good and focused at what they do. And they're like, how did you instill that in them? I said, I didn't. You know, I gave them the space to figure out what they love. If they wanted to practice, great. If they didn't, okay. But they had whatever... Whatever the outcome was based on the decision they made, they experienced it on the field or at the dance studio. If they chose to miss a practice because they were just too tired, oh, this is what happened. This is why you didn't start. You know, you missed practice. This is how it is. You know what I mean? And, you know, but it was it was never a push. It was like, okay, well, this is what you signed up for. This is the expectation. You know, you're going to email coach and let's see what he says or whatever it was. They were always leading the way. And so the discipline, it, it, I feel like it really starts to, to taper off. I, and again, my kids are 14 and 16. I can't recall the last time there was like this major thing that happened where we had to sit down and figure out some, like a disciplinary action. Yeah, we, like a restorative justice or, yeah, yeah, like how do you no, restore no. the thing, right? Like, because nowadays, no. for me, that's what we do. Like, okay, so there was a thing. So how do we restore? How do we return to wholeness? Yeah. How do we how do we not do this again next time? Like, what's the learning here? You know, those right. are the kinds of conversations like we have. We have small things where it's like, okay, you know, I'll pull up grades. Like, I'm noticing you're at a C. There's X amount of, of um, there's X amount of, of, assignments missing but they all seem to be in class assignments i'm like what are you doing in class well it gets a little boring and you know so i'm just on my phone i'm like well that doesn't sound like it's productive i said well what do you need to not be on your phone 
well, can't you just turn off my Wi-Fi? Because the school doesn't let us uh, let us use theirs. So if you turn mine off, at least I won't have that temptation. Okay. So now during the day, um, his dad disables the Wi-Fi on his phone. So because he he's like, I you know, I'll just get on my phone if I have access to it. So just turn it off between, you know, nine and three. Okay. Done. Done. <laughs> and that was defined by your child. And I think that's also what I try to do around teaching my kid accountability, right? Like mm-hmm. you have to, in that moment, your child was being accountable to themselves. Like how do you be accountable to yourselves and the grades that you want and how to show up well? Like what's what's a barrier and how could you resolve it? So your right. child came up with a solution. Turn off my Wi-Fi from this time to this time. Now some people right. would be like, well, they should just have the self-discipline to not do it. But it's like we know ourselves. Instead of trying to like right. change ourselves – change the conditions right and so i think that and was really not smart only that, like with that like how many where i'm i'm an adult you will catch me on a zoom call multitasking through instagram right <laughs> so how am i really it's called doing research it's called doing research, yeah, researching, <laughs> multitasking. but so i'm gonna expect a 15 year old to do what i know none of us can do i mean that's the reality of it and I think the other part of discipline that we need to get comfortable with is that all of their ideas aren't going to work and that's okay. Right. So, you know, cause I remember when, when my kids were younger, there were things where they come up with and in my head, I'm like, okay, I don't see that working, but, but they came up with it. Let's try it. And so we would try it a few times and then they would be like, I'm like, Oh, how is that? Yeah. I, I don't like that too much. Okay. So should we try something else? And being okay with that. Oh yeah, um, I can't. I, yes, I can't do that. I, I got to work on that part. That's that. You, you got me there. We were in alignment. We was rocking for a minute. I cannot let nobody do no random stuff that I know. I could see that this is not gonna work. I'm gonna be like, okay, let's think this through. Go ahead, tell me what you think. Gonna if you do A, what you think is the possible B? And then what you think is about, like, I want him to think it all the way through. And that's when he gets over talking to me. He's like, oh, my gosh, these are long circles. Like, <laughs> we just keep going yeah. around. What's the answer? I'm like, I just want you to think about if you do it that way, what do you think is the possible consequences? Is that the best choice? I'm trying to have strategy conversations with the teenager. It's it's good until they're over it. <laughs> it's good. Well, and that's the thing. And that's the hard part, too, is that you don't know when they're over it until they're over it. And then you might not have accomplished anything. Anything. Because their one idea, their one idea that they were so excited about, now we've just inadvertently told them that's not going to work. And now they've shut down and, and we're back at square one. Because now they're that's not even going to try that one. No, they're going yeah. to do something. We're going to do something, boo. We got to get something. There has to be some resolution to this issue. Um, and that's why I let them because it could be, it could be, you know, it could sound silly to me, but then what if, what if, what if to our, our surprise, it works I mean, for them? Am I? I'm a Capricorn, <laughs> so we be. We be I am too. So we, we think we're right. <laughs> I oh, felt, I, no, I, for some reason, are. I didn't know you were Capricorn, but when you were talking all this time, I was like, She's definitely giving Capricorn vibes. I'm going to ask her when the call ends. <laughs> no, yes, I'm a Capricorn. So we are always right. But I've learned to step back here. Well, I've learned to and step my back son and is a right. Capricorn. But my son oh. is a Capricorn. So he's always right, too. So now we got to compare our rightness and be like, okay, so tell me your strategy. Tell me what. Tell me. Tell me your three prong step approach. She's like, whoa, lady. I just had a simple idea. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Um. Let me see. I have one more question. Um. Uh, it's about 
like just some of the myths that are associated with it. Can you do a little bit of myth busting? Because I think people hear nonviolent, they hear all kind of things. They think it's only about physical. Um, but they also just, I don't even think, I mean, to be honest, I don't think the title of it actually encapsulates what it really is. And I can't even tell you what it, I mean, I guess probably because I think of everything as like rooted in liberation. So I'm like, it kind of sounds like liberated parenting, but it's not. <laughs> so yeah. um, what what is it not, I guess, is because I think a lot of people have questions about what it is and what it isn't. And what like, what would not? you call it? Would you call it nonviolent huh. parenting if you had to name it that? You know, if I had to name it now, I'm going to tell you, I did nonviolent parenting because at the time I was rooted on that and on my personal experiences. My my dad is um, is traditional Mexican, right? So I grew up with a very machismo father. You know, girls were less than. I said yes or no, sir. So I was very, you know, and he was very harsh in a lot of ways with his words, with his actions. And so at that time, it was very much rooted in and the violent piece of it and how that felt for me and how it broke me so mm, much, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if now, having lived it for the last 16 years with my own, I wouldn't call it nonviolent, although it does grab people's attention. But to your point, it is very much rooted in being liberated in raising a whole human being, in raising a human being who knows who they are, who is confident, who is non-compliant. I mean, I my daughter just went through a situation with her dance and I I was so proud because I was like, I've done it. I have raised a non-compliant child because an adult told her to do something and she was like, this was silly and did it anyway, right? And that is like what fuels me because compliance does not serve anybody a purpose. Compliance doesn't save us. Compliance doesn't make us stronger. Compliance doesn't make us you know, the bigger person or the better person, compliance makes us, you know, it, it, it sets the foundation for us to be victimized. And, and we already are a people who are oppressed and we don't need to continue to, you know, raise children who are meek or who don't know who they are. And so I wouldn't call it nonviolent now. Um, I don't know what I would call it. I just feel like it builds these strong black children who are so confident in who they are and what they're able to do and what their ability is. Like, I'm going to tell you, no one can tell my kids anything. If they want to do something, they 100% believe that they have the ability to do it. And I'm not going to tell them otherwise, because just like any other child, white child, whoever, they absolutely can go down the path and try that skill or that goal that they want to reach there's there's nothing stopping them and for me that's the difference Mm, 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 mm. listen (laughs) listen non-compliance is your goal i could i swear i hear somebody (laughs) grabbing clutching their pearls right now one of the church one of the church mothers is with a big hat (laughs) clutching their pearls there is some male parents saying oh you gonna do what I say when I say it and I'm like girl you over here trying to cause a ruckus (laughs) (laughs) but that is the ultimate for me the ultimate goal non-compliance if somebody tells you to do something and it's silly or doesn't make sense question it if they don't give you the answer you want question it again if they don't give you the answer you want call your mama 
you know, and I'll, I I'll have a conversation I think with that the adult. Must, this got to be a Capricorn thing because when I say I am in agreement, I mean, I'm saying, ooh, um, do I admit that I'm in agreement? Um, yeah, because... <laughs> Because it's less of, yeah, compliance means like you just follow what people tell you to do. You don't, you're not curious. You don't ask no questions. There's no right. pushback. So to me, and I don't think you always have to push back. If you're in agreement with a thing and you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But it's like if you just go with the flow on everybody's position and what everybody tells you to do, oh, my goodness, what are you? A person right. who a just follows. It's dangerous. And this also has a very strong dotted line to your intuition. Because this goes beyond an adult telling you to go sit down or you can't have recess for no reason. And you now start shifting into adult who is telling you to keep a secret because they touched you in a way you weren't supposed to. Right. So mm -hmm. the, it, it, it all into it all. It's all connected. What we see as, you know, being nice and giving everybody a hug, you're 100 percent teaching your child that their body is not theirs. So fast forward 10, 15 years later. And now all they know how to do is be compliant and say yes and go with the flow and never go against adults. We have set them up for something horrible. Yeah. And our children don't. It's a catch 22, right? To have non-compliant black children is is unsafe, mm -hmm. but also to have black children who just move through the world doing what people tell them to do is also not safe. Um, and there's a balance. And I will say this non-compliant black being a non-compliant black child is unsafe, but we also have to be realistic and say that being a compliant black person isn't always it's safe. It's not safe as well. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, it's a catch-22. <laughs> yeah. Neither yeah, one of it's these. it's a catch-22. Neither one is safe. It's yeah. safe. And, and, it, and I think the point of Parenting for Liberation or this whole centering it on liberation is that sometimes liberation is risky. Yeah. It's not always safe and and I think we want safety, but it's something that we actually have to fight to build because it does not exist for black children and black people in this country and many countries. And so we can't assume that we're inherently going to be safe. And so if we're only moving right. from fear, right, because when you're trying to maintain right. safety, that means you're moving from a place of like fear. And we're not trying to move from fear, we're trying to move for the sake of liberation. And sometimes you have to fight you have to take risk. You might have to take sacrifices. Um, but, like, what's the alternative? Is to live in right. oppressive conditions where you are compliant to your oppressor. Yeah. And, I, and, that's, and that's part of, you know, it not being a one-size-fits-all and knowing, you know, the times we live in. So the conversations I have with my son are very different than the conversations I have with my daughter, you know, in terms of how they move in the world and what they need and how to be safe. Um, but we also have them together. My son, he's 16, about 5'11", you know, a little bit darker skin. He will, he prefers to only walk down the street if he's walking our dog. He understands that there's safety in a black man walking a dog or walking down the street with his sister. If he's walking alone, he doesn't even like to wear a sweatshirt. He won't have his AirPods in. He says hi to everybody. You know what I mean? Like there are ways in which he knows, you know, it might not 100% keep him safe, but it can keep him on the safer side, on the he less to be hyper -vigilant. side. Yeah, yeah. Whereas my daughter, she, she can, you know, she's more petite, lighter skin, she can go skipping down the street, but she's like, 
but she's not going to because she's like, I'm small. Someone can just snatch me up in a second. Okay. You know, like. <laughs> yes, the threats and, are all around. Are the things. Yeah, the threats are all around. And those are the conversations we have to have and balance it without taking away their childhood. Right. Yeah, this is this is life. Yeah, yeah exactly. How to take do it without taking away their childhood and also without making them afraid. But making them aware, mm-hmm. right? And I think this is yeah. every black parent's conversation um, with their children, right? About what does safety look like, and what does it mean to be black in this place that we are in, and and like you know all the things, so be aware, and then also okay, now go live your life. <laughs> like yeah. don't let it stop yeah, you. Go live your life. Don't let and it stop you. And you said, what does safety look like? And again, going back to intuition, what is it? feel like Mm. right yeah what does it feel like and then going back to being your child's friend and if you're not feeling like it's safe you know you can call me yeah Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm listen we can keep talking because i'm like i remember all (laughs) yes it's big circle and i was like and i and i'm just thinking about some of the the um, things that i've seen online recently about um you know can your children call you when they're in situations that are where they don't feel safe and they're not going to get a lecture or be told, I told you not to do that. Or, you know, like right. they're not going to get in trouble. Like they're just like, hey, can you help me? And like yeah. the kids who knew that they had a parent that they can call at any time with no questions asked. Or they could just send a weird text, like a coded language, and the mm-hmm. parent will make up a story and show up and be like, oh, we have to go to this thing that I forgot about and just go pick up their kid. Um, Like I want to be that parent with my child. I want my child to feel like they can call me um, about anything. And and the only way that they could do that is if they feel safe with us. And I think we can't make the world safe, right? We said we described all the ways that our children are navigating the world and it's not the safest place. We can't make that safe, but what we can make safe is us. Yes. We can make their relationship with us feel safe at home so yeah. that they can come to us for anything and they won't get, you know, they won't experience any violence, whether that be emotional, mental, psychological, physical um, communicative, right? They won't experience violence. They'll they'll experience safety. They'll experience open arms and like let's talk about it, you know, and let's move through it. So I do think that's what we want for all of our children. So I guess I'm a part of the non-violent parenting squad, even though I would call it something else, like liberation <laughs> or something else, um, because yeah, we want our children to thrive and to see us, you know, as one of their little friends. <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> the wisest of them all. The wisest friend they got. The the best friend that they should come to when they know when they need the real real. Um, yeah. But they should also have friends that are their ages. <laughs> yeah. Please go hang out every now and then. Just leave. I'm good. <laughs> Well, I really enjoyed talking to you. Um, folks, do you see how and hear how brilliant um Cresha is? If so, you should definitely cop her book. Can you tell folks how to get it? You can go to www.losingcontrolbook.com. Losingcontrolbook.com. Yes, there's an ebook and there's a hard copy. Ebook and hard copy. Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been a really enjoyable conversation. I knew you was a Capricorn. I should have known it as soon as we talk. Um, I see you. Happy early or belated birthday. It depends on what see, where, where you are in the Capricorn zone. I'm at the beginning. And thank you. Thank to you. Thank you. Thank you. And my Capricorn baby, we're going to be celebrating. Um, and everyone who's listening, happy New Year's, happy holidays, happy Kwanzaa, all that good stuff. Um, we will see you in 2023.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Parenting for Liberation. I hope something on this episode will inspire you on your parenting journey. Please like us on all social media at Parenting for Liberation. Until next time, let's get free, y'all.